1: Oh, good morning, Melbourne. Here we are again with the fabulous Escape Our travel and food show. It is a very early start to our Sunday. We've had our caffeine. It's... Oh, I'm just feeling so chipper and brisk and, you know, I'm recovered from last night. And um, Fiona Brooke, my name's Russ Masterton and you are Fiona Brooke. (laughs) It's a pleasure to have you on our show today. have you been, Fee? I
2: had some excellent jam on my toast this morning. Oh.
1: Yep. It was like... Homemade?
2: No. Well, it is plum season, you know. It was actually (laughs) like a berry with a really interesting little lime flavouring. I just, you know, I think that if you're going to have jam... You just need to... Make it extra special. Oh my God, how's
1: your new puppy going? I have to ask. The new puppy is adorable. Name? Loves it. Name? Basil. Oh, he's so cute. Basil, he's so cute. Love it. He is so adorable. Now, riding us today, and on the panel, we have excuse me, the lovely Stefan. How are you? Gorge? Good morning I'm
0: very well. Thank you. Yeah, how well, are you? Very energetic this morning. Isn't it great? It's it's fantastic to be getting up so I early. I would say
1: this is our last show for the grid. We've we've got it all happening here today. We've we just do. we're just yes. on top of the world now. God, the guest today is just amazing. The what an best amazing talent guest. ever. Well, he's he's a joyster. <laughs> He, he is amazing. We won't be able to shut him up, and that's why we love him so much. David Gale, welcome to The Escape Room, two ninety four point nine. 94.9. Oh, my goodness. It's so good to be here. I've been for a run this morning. What
3: an amazing day it is out there. And as you know, I'm always up early. But like Russ, we've been out to midsummer so many times, so many oh, events, so many plays, so many acts and all that sort of stuff. So I'm surprised you're even up this early because it was a reasonably late one last night. It was, but what I What did you think of the summer?
1: show? It, amazing show amazing talent now this community theatre we mm. are so lucky to have such good community theatre in melbourne and the productions from this year's midsummer have been out of sight we haven't been to any interpretive dance yet well, so that's favorite, something to look forward but I to i think fiona's going to do some for us in the break so we could be okay oh i there. could do i could sing the shongalolo oh that'd be perfect <laughs> for us we need that we've got enough of the Shongololo, david you and your travels take you to all of the most exotic Middle East destinations. You've been to Turkey. You've been to Jordan. You've been to Iran. You've been to God knows where. Well, Oman. Oman. Don't you forget have to, Oman. Oman, too, yes. Today oh. you're taking us where to? Lebanon. Out of sight. Always wanted to go. Well, it's uh, a very
3: close place to the rest of the Middle East, but a lot of people do overlook it, and I don't know why. Now, when I got back from Lebanon, somebody said to me, oh, surely, you know, it's a bit war-torn and whatever. Look... Let's face it, the war ended in 1989. It was a civil war. It's been 30 years for them to recover. They have actually recovered and it is a beautiful, beautiful place.
2: And Beirut itself is like one of the most cosmopolitan cities in the world.
3: I'm glad you didn't say the Paris of the East because I'm sick of hearing that because it is, <laughs> it is a beautiful city but it is um, unique unique. And uh, very, very different to other places, certainly in Europe.
2: Well, I mean, I think that's a bit corny if you say, like, the Paris end of Melbourne. Like, we've all heard that one before. (laughs) uh, Or the Paris of the Pampas, as they say for, uh, what's that city in South America? Uh, uh, La Paz Buenas- or Argentina? Oh, Buenos Aires. Buenas-
1: Buenos. Uh, Buenos.
2: Buenos. Pur- purpose of the Paris or Paris. Anyway, we're getting distracted. Paris of the city. Yeah, no, Paris. Don't, Paris don't
3: cry for me, Israel. Argentina, However, is what
2: I'm thinking of. Beirut, I have heard, is a fantastic, cosmopolitan, full of life, full of, you know, wonderful places to eat and drink and arts and culture and it sounds amazing. You've yeah. yeah. well, we summed, it, ask. Up. I'm summed ask. it up. You've summed it up. That's the end of the program. The show. <laughs> I'm
1: going to ask why. Thank you very much. I'm going to ask why. Because, you know, the average Joe Blow would not wake up one day and say, you know, I think going going to lebanon
3: so all right i had a mission and it was at the same time i went to iran i know i was on the program a few weeks back maybe a month or so ago and got up early on a sunday as well but Mm -hmm. uh, that's beside the point i was going to iran on a mission to see a particular ziggurat down in the southwest my decision to go to lebanon specifically was to go and see the ruins of Baalbek. now these are roman ruins that are outstanding on a scale that has to be seen to be believed probably uh you know on par with the roman ruins of northern jordan at jeresh uh these ones in Baalbek are astounding and i can tell you i wasn't disappointed by any means Mm,
2: mm. do you like a ruin fee i love a ruin Mm -hmm. Mm. i mean i was of course quite saddened by the loss of palmyra Mm-hmm. because they were, even though they weren't actually Roman ruins, they were of the Roman period. Uh, of course, because was all run by a woman, a famous uh, female uh, warrior woman. Mm. And, uh, you know, the Romans wanted to take her over, take over everything, and they came to knock on her door, and she was like, back off, Romans. Anyway, Palmyra... Wow. That was yeah. a, certainly a, a beautiful And where were group. they located? Yeah. They're in southern Syria.
1: Okay. Gone, unfortunately. We, um,
2: well, I think that there are some parts of it that yeah. are left. But anyway, we are not talking about No, but, you
3: know, that was the initial idea of going there and then I started to talk to uh, some people that I know that are from Lebanon and they extolled the virtues of going to Beirut. They offered me to stay in their house and whatever, which I didn't take up the offer, but there uh, are... And then I started doing a little bit of research. Number one, type... Beirut into your search engine, click on images, and you will just go, oh my goodness, this is the most stunning place. Right. It's situated on the Mediterranean. It sort of comes up on a little bit of a hook where Beirut just sticks out, but um, most of it is built along the range of mountains along the the um, west coast of of Lebanon, and so everything virtually has a view. There are little suburbs in a city which obviously don't. Not everybody gets a view. It's a bit like being on the Sydney Harbour where not everybody has a view, but Um, It is set on this magnificent coast. Uh, A lot of young people go there because it is just an amazing party city. I'm not a partier, so I didn't partake in that. But there are a lot of young people visiting Beirut and also the rest of Lebanon. Um, It it is a magical, magical place to go and visit. And, you know, the weather is temperate virtually all year round being in the Middle East. It does get a little bit cooler in winter, Mm -hmm. but uh, they do say you can ski in the morning and then come down
1: to the beach in the afternoon.
2: Extraordinary.
1: Did Brian Ferry come to mind? In what way? Well, he does have that hit song "Lebanon." Was it Brian Ferry? I might be—I might be wrong here. No, was it Avalon? Go. Oh, it was Avalon.
2: <laughs> yes, as in the <laughs> airport.
1: <laughs> You know, any way you want to sing it is fine. Well, you know what? I'm always making up my lyrics. Who else does that?
2: Oh, a lot of people yeah. make up their lyrics, but <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm actually singing <laughs> Lebanon to Avalon. We'll have to, we'll have to play that Every track Every time you play the the show. Avalon, <laughs> now,
3: one should, now one I was going to say, Lebanon. if this wasn't live radio, that would have to be cut
0: out.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> but,
0: you know, that's the beauty of coming to joy. <laughs> it is. that <Now>, where... like, <laughs> <laughs> going back to Beirut... Yeah. Where do you fly to from Australia? Okay. So, where do you... How do you start your trip?
3: Uh, Look, there are lots of airlines that will get you there via... uh, Certainly Qantas goes there, uh, but also a lot of other carriers, such Mm. as Emirates, will get you there via one of the Middle Eastern hubs, Mm. uh, depending on which airline you choose. Mm. Now, I chose to fly from Tehran over to Beirut. I've got to tell you, you get on an uh, Iran Air aeroplane. I went straight across Iraq, straight across Syria. Nobody is going to shoot you down in an Air Iran plane, I can tell you. They're ageing fleets and they're pretty old. But uh, I think I slipped most of the way. Uh, but when you arrive in Beirut, uh, there, there are also other ways. Certainly, I, I left uh, Beirut and came back via Dubai on Emirates. Uh, but there are plenty of flights going there. because a lot of expats that live here in Australia. Are
1: those uh, Air Iran flight attendants? I mean, I, uh, from memory, when I was in Iran... No,
3: I wasn't flying Asman. if that was okay, the next. No. I have,
1: I, I have flown S-Man, and quite an airline, I will say. Uh, uh, but um, Air Iran, they um, they all look like Tom Selleck, the uh, flight attendants. They all had these big bushy yes. moustaches, and they were quite handsome. It, they
3: can be quite strict, too. When Selleck was in, his do day, anything doing everything wrong.
1: Very good, one they can be, you know. Yeah.
3: One of the things I wanted to point out, though, is that when you do arrive at Beirut, um, you want to make sure that your passport is, what, for want of a better word, is reasonably clean. Oh. So the one thing that must not be in your passport is any visa or any stamping from the State of Israel. Yes. People, they will not accept you into the country and that's something you must make sure that if you have a passport that maybe has uh, an Israel passport stamp and most of the time they won't stamp your passport anyway and they might do it on Mm -hmm. a piece of paper. But if you have uh, one stamp of Israel or anywhere... within that country uh, you will be denied entrance mm. and I thought you know I was coming in reasonably late from Tehran so it might have been about 10 o'clock at night and I'd read that you get a visa on arrival and I thought okay visa on arrival you know what forms will I fill out when I get there and mm. you know do I need to get some currency change to be able to pay for the mm. visa and all that sort of stuff now I arrived there 10 10 30 at night they look at your passport wave you straight through So, you know, I mean, there are great benefits of travelling with an Australian passport. The list of passports that you want to have, you know, are are, are pretty long, uh, which will cover most of us anyway. But uh, there's no fee. They want people to come to uh, Lebanon. And you just basically, they're going to flick through your passport, go, nope, no Israel, Come on in.
0: Mm. So a, a visa from the United States isn't a problem, so no. Israel is no. really the only just place. just Israel.
3: Make so. sure you do not have Israel on your passport. Uh, and you you could always um, get a new passport if that is the case, because you're probably having difficulty in certainly other Middle Eastern mm. countries if that's mm. the case.
2: Absolutely.
3: But uh, very easy country to enter, which means they really do want the tourism and they want people to visit. Mm. What
1: currency did you use then? I uh,
3: used the uh, Lebanese lira.
1: Lira, okay. And
2: did you find that you, that, that other other currencies like uh, the US dollar or the or the euro were useful there? I've got a feeling I changed
3: over some euro that I had, but the rest, you know, they've got a, an international um, ATM mm-hmm. network, so I just use ATMs to draw out local currency.
1: Excellent! It's such a pleasure to have David Gale on Absolutely. join only Four this morning on the Escape Hour. This Joycast is a free service brought to you by Joy 94.9. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. Good morning, Melbourne. It's brisk. Maybe it's not brisk. Maybe it's sunny out there for you. Who knows? We don't know where you are. We don't know who you're waking up with. But this is Joy 94.9 and you're on the Escape Hour and we are in Lebanon today, which we're very excited about, aren't we, Fiona? We are. And I want to
2: hear all about this cosmopolitan city, Beirut.
3: Oh, Beirut, what a place to go. It oh, is really goodness. just physically it is beautiful. And when I arrived in Beirut, the first place I went to was a small hotel that I'd chosen. Uh, coming into a country late at night, I don't particularly like uh, staying in a um, an Airbnb because, mm. oh, you no. know, you may have difficulty finding keys and self-checking in and all that sort of stuff. So I stayed in a small hotel, but I chose a suburb called Hamra and now i would say hamra from the actual cbd the the main center of beirut would be maybe two three kilometers that sort of mm-hmm. area so it'd be similar to staying in south Yarra or carlton or wherever. did you do any
1: research to find Hamra, or was it just uh, look i this did looks okay i'm going to stay there
3: or? yeah well i did have a look at some of the most popular places you can do a, a search on whichever search engine you choose to see um which areas are most popular with tourists and that's certainly why i chose hamra and Hamra is just sort of like a, a recently calm inner city very close to the city, older neighbourhood, but, of course, it's being redeveloped and, mm-hmm. and rechanged as it goes along through time. Uh, a lot of younger people have moved back into the area. It sounds a bit like gentrification, if mm-hmm. you ask me, mm-hmm. similar to our inner-city suburbs. Mm-hmm. So there would be some old people that are still living there in their old apartments and also newer people that have moved in. I will admit, I was told that the real estate in, Le- in Beirut is extraordinarily expensive, certainly mm-hmm. in the inner city. But uh, this particular neighbourhood of Hamra is right next to the, um, I'm just trying to think of the name of the university, it's the American University. Now, I didn't choose that because I thought, well, I want to be next to a, um, a university, but I suppose from that, it means there are going to be some younger people around as well.
2: Yeah, university suburbs and university towns are, you know, they've got great food, they've got Mm. lots to choose from, it's obviously a place where there's not a lot of expensive food because of all the students, I mean it's a good place to to consider you know, locals, from a proximity point of view. One of the things I noticed too was while using my maps
3: on my phone, was that the streets are very small and short, so you know, Mm. if you do have a look at a map of Beirut and you think, oh my goodness, this is a huge area to cover. They're very small streets and little blocks, very small blocks. Uh, just at the end of um, my street, which was you know, maybe 50 metres long. I was in a hotel at the end of it. Um, You know, there was a couple of little convenience stores. There was a little pizza place that made the most beautiful pizza. Uh, Around the corner to the left was a little jazz bar that was open really late at night and they had jazz on every night. And they'd been going for over 30 years. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's all those sorts of little places, little bars, little restaurants, um, and it's not very far to walk to anything. What sort of food is is,
1: um, Lebanon famous for?
3: Um, I don't think it's really famous for any particular food. Um, It is more uh, Middle Eastern food... Maybe with their own slant on it. But, you know, fresh and, uh, you know, there were a couple of little bars that I went to and had small little plates of food. So there is a, a certain smallness about the food. If you're a huge person that's dying to eat as much as possible... You uh, have to the eat a lot of polavals. Well, the presentation to me were very small little dainty Middle mm. Eastern dishes. You know, I went to one place and ordered some meatballs and it was six of the tiniest marble-sized meatballs. They were delicious with a little mm. dipping sauce and a piece of flour bread with it but it's to me the places that I ate were all sort of little tiny things but you know Middle Eastern food is similar from Greece right the way through Mm. to um um to Iran and then down to the south it's all very very similar but with different slants I didn't notice a particular slant but maybe because I was staying in a city it was probably a little bit more international
1: Mm. Just um, what comes to mind when I hear you talking about the um, the hotel you stayed at, I, mean, I know Stefan's going to talk later about um, GLBTIQ rights in um, in Lebanon. I, for Egypt, for example, You, um, it would be very frowned upon booking a, a double room as two men in that country. They would certainly um, check you in and they would take you to the room, and but they would take you to a room with two beds. Uh, they wouldn't take you to a room with, with one double bed in there. What, uh, what would be the experience in Lebanon? on, being a Middle Eastern country?
3: Look, um, I was travelling alone, so I wasn't put under that situation. Um, the hotel that I checked into, I did stay in the first night in one room and it was on a lower level and uh, I wasn't particularly comfortable there and, in fact, the next day I asked to change to another room and I was put into a room with two double beds So, mm. and I was single travelling. So, look, I don't know whether it would make a difference, but, you know, if you needed to um, for the sake of your own um well not necessarily safety but not feeling embarrassed you could always ask for to you know a twin room or something like Mm. that Mm. i think you know when we travel around the world with our
1: partners uh, we've all had experiences and, uh, you know, I think you just play it by ear more than anything. Well, I think any international hotel these days, I mean, they're clever enough to to know what what goes on and, and that there is a GLBTI community travelling to these places. So it would be quite common to find many rooms with double two double beds in them.
3: And also, you know, I think hotels have always been the hush-hush people of whatever society it's in. Whatever goes on behind their hotel doors stays behind those hotel doors. Did you see doors. many
1: um, GLBTIQ people in the streets there? Um,
3: Look, because I was on a short time frame, I actually didn't look for part of our community at Mm -hmm. the time. Um, But, and, you know, it's very hard in the Middle Eastern countries because uh, certainly being a man myself... um, Uh, Middle Eastern men are much more affectionate than Western men Mm. and there is a certain amount of touching and greeting in different ways. Beirut however is a very different city because it is a multi-religious city. There is a large Christian population, there's a very large Islamic population, there's a Catholic population, there's uh, all sorts of different religions that have come together in that area. Uh, but then also there are um, there are different political groups that are very hard line, such as Hezbollah. Um, and in my research for travelling to Lebanon, um, I realised that certainly going to the south is not a good idea because the closer you get to the Israel border, you're getting into a, an area that is controlled by Hezbollah and they are a very militant group. People may be kidnapped. I didn't feel uh, under threat by any means, mm-hmm. but there are... Areas that you certainly wouldn't want to necessarily put yourself at risk, Mm. uh, certainly towards the south. And Mm. then there's a complete no-go zone as you get close to the Israel border, which Mm. is you just can't go. But if you do know people in um, Lebanon, and uh, certainly if I'd known somebody that was staying there at the time that is from Lebanon, I've heard that there is a wealth of treasures to see on that southern coast so you'd need to be with somebody that lives there Mm. that has local knowledge and they could take you to see some amazing beaches and also more roman ruins certainly in the south that most westerners will never see in their lifetime that's something you know if that opportunity comes up grab it with both
2: hands Mm, mm, mm. that sounds extraordinary so when you were in beirut what were some of the other top um sort of things that you love to do? I mean, do they have beautiful museums? Uh, was there wonderful cultural centres? Certainly around Hamra, it's... Um, I don't know.
3: I, there wasn't anything outstanding that's just saying, blah, come and see me. Mm. But, of course, you have got that beautiful view from wherever you are. Mm. The little bars and the clubs and the shops are just gorgeous. Mm. And, you know, it's that eclectic mix that we would see in one of our inner city suburbs. You know, you might see a hairdresser, a motor mechanic, a jewellery shop, a gallery, and then the the coolest little coffee shop. Mm. So, it was certainly like that. And while we're still on Beirut, um, I moved after a few days over to another suburb called Mar Mikel. Now, I think the, those from Lebanon would call it Michel or something like that. But, you know, for, for my purposes, it's I called it Marmichel. Good. And it's just on the other side, probably about two to three kilometres away from the actual CBD itself. Uh, certainly a little bit more interesting. A lot of tourists will stay there. There are the St. Nicholas Stairs, which are just this beautiful stairway that goes mm. up to... Uh, with a statue of St. Nicholas on the way up. Um, and up along those streets, you know, even if you just walk the streets, you've just got this terrace view looking out onto the Mediterranean, beautiful trees, and uh, once again, I had probably one of the best coffees of uh, that week in a cute little coffee shop Mm. with this hot, hot guy serving coffee, um, (laughs) who, uh, you know, I could have had a second coffee, but I I think I would have just been all over him after the (laughs) the extra caffeine hit, but... um, Really good cafes, you know, galleries, jewellery shops, all that sort of stuff. I did actually stumble across a little secondhand market one day when I was there. um, And it was great to see, you know, people just selling different handicrafts and things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's just got that feel. I don't know whether, you know, you've been to Buenos Aires and there's nothing spectacular... About Buenos Aires, like an opera house. or so what, what the most spectacular thing is the six-lane highway each way in
1: Buenos Aires. But Buenos Aires just feels right, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. Once you get into the suburbs, like the you know the Recoleta, and mm-hmm. um, and you go and find a, a decent um, place where you can get a um, um, asado, or a great big meat meal, you really just sit and. Party with the locals and have a fantastic time. Yeah, it's, isn't it? You yeah. just
3: feel right, yeah. mm. and maybe that's something to do with our culture and mm. and how things are here in Melbourne.
2: Well, of course, because of, because of our familiarity with Lebanese culture and food, because of the population that live here in Australia, it's possible that we just sort of feel a little bit more comfortable in the environment. We feel at home with the food and the um and the you know the Lebanese people are so um hospitable. Uh, they make incredibly beautiful wine, of course course, when I was in Syria, we just drank Lebanese wine the whole time. Wow. It was, it's a beautiful, they make beautiful wines and have delicious, tasty, hospitable, yummy food. So, Fantastic. that is true. A part of it. And of course, getting
3: around uh, Lebanon isn't too difficult. Um, it is a car reliant suburb, uh, suburb, uh, car reliant uh, country. But uh, one thing I would say is if you arrive there, try and get a SIM card as quickly as possible mm. uh, because they're not expensive and... Uh, well, it's
1: always a good travel trip well, in yeah, any country you go to, isn't it? And yeah. You know, for years and years... It's I always cheaper than
3: roaming on any service oh, that you have just in Australia. I used to be terrified
1: of getting a SIM when I arrived somewhere. I thought, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Am I being ripped off here? Is this going to work? And uh, three travels with David, I just the first thing we do is go and find a, a little telephone company and buy a SIM. Yeah.
2: Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you put that SIM in your phone, then anyone who rings you from Australia can't reach you because your SIM is not in your phone. Correct, That's right. right? That's always a problem do, for me. Do,
0: but, do you know. There is a dual SIM phone. Most phone now do, and the latest iPhones do that oh, as really? well. So you can have two SIMs in your... Really? You can have an eSIM, uh, electronic SIM, and a physical SIM. Oh. Uh, so you can, and you will get... Pho- I've got that in my phone at the Technology. moment. And you can just get... Ph- Phone calls from both numbers. And, of course, oh, if you're worried answer, about people contacting you from Australia, whether it be for an emergency
3: or for some other reason, um, there are so many other applications such as WhatsApp, of course, emails, yes. all those sorts of things, and you will save a package. Yes, uh, of course. Compared to, you know, the minute you start using some roaming services, you're looking at, you know, 100 bucks for 20 minutes. Oh, of, my, of my recent trip in them.
2: Turkey, I got, yeah. I got a terrible mm. bill shock. Yeah. And I only used it for, oh, no, it was in... Um, georgia actually and i'd only been on it for like Five a day yeah, and yeah, it was terrible. just unbelievable
1: 500 bucks for a day or something you can it
2: wasn't that much but it was know. certainly a lot
3: but you will get one in lebanon mm. inexpensive and it'll
1: yeah. get you everywhere yes, you want to go Stefan, you had a question for david
0: uh, oh i did yes I, I just wanted to go back to where you decided to stay in lebanon in beirut how do you decide on these suburbs how do you do your research to find the best Place to stay, and you stay. You, stay, you I seem to remember from a previous show that you stayed in Airbnb, but this time you stayed in hotels. A to hotel start with. first, and then so to an how Airbnb. do you go about finding this suburb? Because it's it's not like in the CBD. It seems. Well, to be. I
3: did I did a Google search, okay. and you can ask you all so many different things, hmm. but you can ask or, or whichever um, server you want to use. You can ask which are the popular tourist spots to stay in, and that's probably a good starting point. And then you can research from there. Certainly, Airbnb I use in order to find a really good place. And certainly in Marmakel it was uh, uh, the end of... of, uh, It's it's basically one very long road uh, with different things along there. But uh, a lot of tourists do stay there. Mm. A lot of backpackers do as well. Uh, But I was right up one end of it and... Uh, It was just old apartment buildings. Now, this particular apartment building, I went into up to the second floor. There was a code and then I went in. It was basically one apartment with five Airbnb rooms in it. Mm. Now, I had one of those rooms with a bathroom, and a little balcony off the back. That was one of the six-room apartment. Huge old apartments, absolutely gorgeous. And it was a uh, – you know, I went through the rating and the – the recommendations and it was a great spot to stop but you know and as far as finding hotels you can use any of the um mm. the hotel uh people that are online to choose yeah. and always look at recommendations and ratings or if you do know somebody they might suggest somewhere where they've stayed before
1: oh good morning you're on join 94.9 we are on the escape hour with david gale from uh Lebanon. Well, he's not from Lebanon, but he's discussing Lebanon, and we're going to be back after this break. Joy
2: 94.9 is on air 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but sometimes you can't always be with us when you want to. Here's the solution. Here's the solution. Listen to your favorite Joy 94.9 show anytime with our Joy podcast service. Our team of over 30 volunteers pick out the best bits from around 60 programs that Joy airs each week, made available to you for free download. To find a podcast of your favourite Joy show, search for us in the Featured Providers section within the iTunes Store, or find them on the Joy website, joy.org.au. Joy Podcast, any show, any, any show, any time,
1: joy.org.au. Good morning, Joysters. It's Sunday morning. What a fabulous day it is. This is Joy 94.9. You're on the Escape Hour. You've got Stefan driving us today, Fiona. Brooke just being a gorgeous, lovely self. My name's Russ. We've got David Gale in the building. He's talking all about Lebanon. But before we go back there, we might just, as this is the travel show, we might just have a quick... Um uh, run around the um, panel here and discuss the pros of um, Airbnbs and hotels. Who, what, where and how. Stefan, what are your thoughts?
0: Well, I've used them um, mostly in Australia. I don't think I've used them overseas. I've used them once in France, uh, but I knew the area. I, I just, I don't know. Yeah, uh, it depends what you want to do. If I'm going to stay for a week, a week and a half, I'll probably use an Airbnb. If I'm a couple of nights, I'll uh, use a hotel. Mm, I think I'm a bit
2: of a fan. I mean, I do use Airbnbs uh, and they can can be wonderful because you have a whole, like, living room and kitchen and you can lounge around. Um, And I do think there are beautiful advantages. But one of the things I find annoying about this is when you arrive a little bit early or a little Mm. bit late um, and then, you know, the trouble of getting in. So, it depends on your travel arrangements. And then, of course, on the last day when you need to leave, you don't want to put your bags and then you... And, you know, sometimes people can be very accommodating. Mm. You're there early You could go there, put your bags there, but the room isn't ready for the Airbnb. Some people are accommodating, but there's nothing worse than lugging your luggage around, uh, waiting for the Airbnb to come available. So I think at times hotels are, excellent because you swat on in and you <laughs> swat on out. And you've
1: got that place you can hold your bag for the day. Yeah. So. And, you know, I quite like
0: having my bed made every day and yes. all this kind of things. Yes. Yeah. You know, that's, new a, that's true. New
2: towels, chairs. Oh, and you know what? A hotel breakfast. Yes. Oh, God,
0: you can't go wrong with that. No. I,
2: I've You're Never worried
1: about toilet paper, are you? Exactly. <laughs> no, no.
2: I mean, you don't have to worry about things working or not working. Mm. You go down, you can have as many cups of coffee and you don't oh. always have to go out and hunt for breakfast Love when you first wake
1: up. Love a buffet.
2: Absolutely.
1: Now, David Gull, you're an um, Airbnb super host. What are your thoughts on travelling with Airbnb? And you you obviously um, would have people call you or email you and say, I'm here in Melbourne, can you let me in now? I'm a pretty particular host, so I pre-organise and preempt what people are
3: going to want and try and make sure that I can meet what they're looking for. So I try and uh, start people with... Um, with an expectation that they're going to be well looked after, and I look after them well. But I do travel using Airbnb, and I've had both good and bad experiences. But tell me, I, I, any I, of the three of you, if you haven't had good and bad experiences with hotels oh, as well? absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> neither of them are... Uh, the panacea of the best accommodation styles. Mm. So now I find that I am actually mixing. You know, Russ and I, we stayed in an Airbnb in Nor- in South Korea, in Seoul, yes. and it was spectacular. It was a hard one to find but once again, the host was very helpful in those directions and photos and things like that. I've stayed in one in Oman which I only stayed for a few days and then moved to a hotel which I'd pre-organised anyway and the Airbnb was in a beautiful house but it was an awful room on the top of the uh, the building. So you know good and bad experiences uh, always just check ratings but even with a hotel i'll still go through and see what the most recent ratings were and you know some people might say well you know they've all been written by the hotel sometimes they have been but you know what uh, we've got to get out there and just see what places are like
2: that's right And i, I try to um, use our ratings with a little grain of salt mm-hmm. because obviously sometimes com- people complain about the most b- absurd things but would you ever be scared to ask for a different room uh, if I didn't like something, I would yeah. move. I yeah. would ask yeah. for another room, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, if, the, if there was t- too much noise or if it smelled of, you know, something stale or something like that, I would ask for another room.
0: And that's something you can't do with Airbnb, though. If you're arriving and you're not happy, mm. and I know that I, I stayed in one in, in Alice Springs not long yeah. ago, and I wasn't happy, but and there was nowhere for me to go I would have foregone the money. How did you rate it though? Well, probably higher than I should have because I felt like I was being nasty.
3: Hmm. Well, you know, mm. it's people like you that give Airbnb a bad name, <laughs> Stefano. <laughs> well, I
0: do apologise, but I didn't want to be nasty because the, the room wasn't right and the, the cleaning hasn't been properly and You need but to the say that. People those were things. lovely. So yeah. I was like, oh. Yeah. I love Evie. Lovely guest, but the room was awful. But you can't know, you, would do it.
2: Can't you do private um, messaging do private to the feedback. host so mm. you can tell the hosts what you think privately and not on the platform?
3: Yeah, and you can also rate in numbers of stars as well. So, mm-hmm. anyway, we're not here to talk about Airbnb. We're here to talk oh, about We, we, can. Can. we can devote a,
1: the rest no, of the show. Well, I think that was a good, a good little segue, but I think mm. we've got to go back to Lebanon. Where are we Do going to now? Do you want to go to Baalbek, my mission? Oh, <gasps> my God, sounds gorgeous. Where is it? Well, Baalbek is
3: on the way from Beirut to Syria. Now, don't get scared when you hear the <laughs> word Syria because we're not going into Syria. Now, if you go to Juresh, uh, how many k's would it be from the Syrian border, the southern Syrian border? That I
2: couldn't answer. 30, 40, if that, I would mm-hmm. say.
3: Mm-hmm. And I would say Balbek is probably similar as well. You've got to remember we live in a large country of huge proportions and we think 30 k's, well, that's probably Kiel or Downs or somewhere mm-hmm. like that or it's one of the suburbs. But in the Middle Eastern countries, it's a long way. Mm-hmm. And uh, you travel up over Mount Lebanon from Beirut Uh, into the Beka Valley. As soon as you get over those mountains, the Beka Valley is a huge sweeping valley Mm -hmm. and you'll see views of it on the roads there. And it is magnificent, green, lush area, which is probably volcanic rock or something like Mm -hmm. that. Uh, Maybe somebody will send a message in to say if they know whether it is. But it's all pastures and it's the food bowl of Mm -hmm. Lebanon. So they grow a lot of uh, crops up there. uh, And it's big, sweeping, open plains um, and it'll take you about an hour to an hour and a half, probably closer to an hour and a half by car mm-hmm. to get there. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can see a couple of smaller things along the way if you want to check out a winery, of course. That's right. Uh, in the morning, mm. or in your case, <laughs> Fiona, uh, maybe in the afternoon instead, as you'd prefer.
2: Yes, afternoon wine uh, it's fine. Yeah,
3: <laughs> afternoon wine You're a lady. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you can also check out uh, some very large stones. I went to visit a very small quarry, but there would have been the largest, uh, I think it was builders, the largest stone in the world, uh, which hadn't quite been removed, but it would have been prepared for, during the Roman times, Mm -hmm. to be transported a few kilometres onto Baalbek. Uh, Baalbek was built over a period of the the ruins now, but uh, the actual site itself was built over a period of 300 years. Extraordinary.
2: Yeah. Now, what's the sort of size of the Baalbek complex?
3: Um, there are three temples. Mm. There is the temple of Venus, which is self-explanatory, so it's the mm. temple of love. Mm. There is a temple of Jupiter, which is the uh, the god of power and mm. uh, possibly of war as well, I think, but mainly is, is power.
2: He, he's the Greek Zeus. Uh, yes,
3: yes. yes yeah. yep. And also the temple of Bacchus, which is the temple of... Lust pleasures. and Pleasures, yes. So you've got... I'd like to go to that temple. You've virtually got war and lust and love in one complex. And they started building the Temple of Jupiter around about 300 BC. Mm. So it took about 100 years to build that.
2: I wonder then who they the emperor was at that time. Um, well,
3: you could look that one up, I'll actually. will look it up. But um, there was, then they went on to build the Temple of Bacchus, mm. and that took about 100 years. And in the last 100 years, they built the Temple of Venus, which is quite small in comparison. Jupiter Temple, uh, the columns were built to the... height of 27 meters oh
2: that is tall we're talking pretty big here yeah uh
3: and -hmm. then of course that's in the highest point on the site and then the temple of bacchus which is a secondary god of course uh, was Mm -hmm. built to 18 meters now uh, what am i i'm about one and a half meters tall five foot six Um, some people are two meters tall we're talking 18 millis, and that's just the pillars without wow. the roof and, of course, the base as well. So I've got some photos, and I showed you one of the photos. It's spectacular. Where, you know, the humans are little ants next mm. to the Temple of Bacchus. Uh, temple of Jupiter has, um, most of it was uh, not raised to the ground, but it was, it was certainly came tumbling down because of earthquakes, and it is the highest um, of the temples, but there is all of the groundwork is still there. So you see um, the altars which are still there, all of the uh, you know the the archways and there's a hexagonal um, area that you come up the stairs to. There's an awful lot that is still intact. It's just not the full structure, mm. uh, but there are these six um, very tall. Columns which have been, which are currently actually being restored by the Italian government. Uh, Lebanon is a relatively corrupt country as far as government is concerned and funds. Mm-hmm. So the Italian government is actually doing the restoration themselves of these Roman ruins.
2: I actually noticed that when I was in. Uh Georgia. That Mm -hmm. a lot of the restoration that's going on there has been undertaken by other countries. Yeah, not so much. I mean, I'm sure that corruption has been a part of it in the past, but um, also because the country is quite poor, is very poor, and they don't have the money for these large restoration projects. So there was an Italian, uh, there was French. I'm sure that I even saw a Japanese restoration project while I was there.
3: And that seems to be a trend in, in a mm-hmm. lot of the restorations because countries do want to offer some assistance for for uh, restoration, but, you know, they don't want to see the money just uh, turned into luxury cars and a, a big mm-hmm. apartment in uh, mm-hmm. Marmakel mm-hmm. which
1: mm-hmm. I would so, David, um, to get to Belbec, did you, did you book a guided tour and, or what? did you make your own way there and just do a self-guided tour?
3: Well, while I was in Beirut, I just did some online um, research on my phone and uh, I found a company which, once again, was rated quite well. I can't remember the name of the com- company, otherwise I'd say pop it up on your podcast. But um, I got a driver and it was not expensive. It would have been maybe $200 for the day mm-hmm. just for myself. So, if there had been two of us, it probably would have been $200 for the day. Yeah. So I had a driver take me all the way from my hotel in um, in Beirut to Baalbek and when I got there, the guy who runs the company was there and he said, look, I'm showing a couple of guys around the site today. In fact, actually, they were a same-sex couple from Germany oh, right. and he said, you can tag along mm. and I did and It was like about two hours of going all around this huge site and uh, finding out everything about it and the history and whatever. Yeah. The um, the main temple, of course, though, that is still standing, and if you do uh, use a search engine to have a look at images of Baalbek, you will see the most amazing uh, temple, which is the Temple of Jupiter, and it is the one with the 18-metre columns It is outstanding and it is still intact. It wasn't affected by the earthquakes. It is the most magnificent Roman ruin you will see. It puts the Parthenon to shame. Uh, It puts a lot of other large-scale Roman ruins to shame. It is just spectacular.
2: How is it for mosaics? Is there much of the mosaics intact?
3: Yes, some of the mosaics are in an area which they've set aside as a, um, a museum. So they've lifted some of those, mm-hmm. certainly from the Temple of uh, Jupiter because yeah. it's exposed to the air now. Mm-hmm. And they've put those in one of the tunnels because they had a water system that mm-hmm. ran through some mm-hmm. tunnels. Mm-hmm. There was a beautiful museum in one of these long water tunnels mm-hmm. where you could see all sorts of things. Of course, many things have been, relics have been removed and taken of to course. museums, mm-hmm. uh, either in... Lebanon or in England, or wherever mm-hmm. they have ended up. Mm-hmm. so uh, and you know they're such priceless pieces that they have to be preserved as well. But what they had on site was pretty it's spectacular, beautiful. statues, mosaics, mm-hmm. uh, amazing things. And even uh, you know back in the the temple of Jupiter, you would see um, carving in Roman ruins in the stonework mm. in different phases. So you might come along uh, a particular area where you'd see the block and then next to it would be the block half-carved and then next to it would be the block completely carved. So you'd see stages of how
1: these Roman ruins were decorated and carved at the time. It's often it's very interesting. I think it's great to go and see these ruins in other countries. They can be a lot more spectacular than, than places like Egypt, for example. I mean, I know I've been to Egypt and I uh, absolutely adore the ruins there, but once you get to Petra, you think, oh, my God, what was mm. I thinking? So it, it's, it's, it's interesting to see ruins in other countries and see how well kept they are. Also, not too many tourists either. It wasn't mm. flooded like some of the other big sites can be joy your voice your radio station sunday morning on joy 94.9 this is the escape hour and we're just having a fabulous time here today we're all geared up on our coffee here we're just enjoying each other's company we're in lebanon with david gale Fiona, would you go
2: oh i would definitely go i've wanted to go for ages i actually wanted to go really more for the i mean i do love a roman ruin but i wanted to go for the cosmopolitan
1: nightlife of beirut it's certainly famous for that, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. What about you, Stefan? Yeah, you... no,
0: I, I would I would go too. I wouldn't go for the nightlife. I think I'll go for the ruins and for you don't the, like the, the night culture, the, the, the food. Not really. I think I'm past that, really. Oh, come on. Uh, you know, you're the youngest eating in the room. Come on. Eating <laughs> in lovely
2: restaurants. I mean, I think that, you know, I'm not going to be going to <laughs> the nightclubs at my age, but, you know, wandering the streets at night and with people and eating in yummy restaurants. Oh, and I so I thought
0: I'd you take you, you to that little jazz club.
2: Yeah, I mean, oh, to me, yes, that's that'd that'd the fun.
0: nightlife. I seem to. To remember that you go to these wild parties in warehouses and things?
2: Well, like about 100
1: years ago. <laughs> <laughs> a while back. You know, you're a foodie, so is there a big food um, scene for um, Lebanese food here in Melbourne?
2: Well, there is. I mean, we have, you know, a, a huge Lebanese population in Melbourne and in Sydney, and there is a lot of Lebanese restaurants and uh, lebanese influence restaurants that we really love. And so I think that it's really kind of become part of our cultural sort of food uh, offering we have here. You know, Turkish food, Lebanese food, Greek food, um, all of the marvellous food from that area that we enjoy. Mm -hmm. So, um, while I don't have anything distinctive from a Lebanese cuisine point of view, I know that it's uh, yummy and fresh and delicious.
3: Certainly in Sydney you would find a, a, a lot of Lebanese mm. restaurants because a lot of Lebanese people mm. have settled in Sydney as well. Actually just think about whether you would go and Russ I might encourage you at some stage when we're travelling together again if we're sort of over that way even if you're going to Europe you could just do a quick stopover for a few days in Beirut on the way and, and I'd certainly encourage that with you at some stage but um, if Fiona Defat said to you, the Department of Foreign and Trade had a travel warning. Do you do you go by
2: the travel warnings?
3: Um,
2: I look. I register. Mm-hmm. I'm registered with DFAT, so because I do travel to quite a few Middle Eastern countries, and I still go. Because
3: DFAT will tell you, do not travel. Yeah. It's I, not the extreme warning, but it'll mm, say, do not mm. travel.
2: I, if it says extreme warning, I won't go to the areas with extreme warning, but so many countries I go to, say, they say you shouldn't... There's...
3: No go. Certainly the uh, Bekar Valley was in a red zone as far as the mm-hmm. D uh the, the DFAT map was concerned. And I always figure that if something is open to tourism, they'll make sure the tourists get through. Now, here I am, a middle-aged white guy in a car with a driver mm. going up and over to that area. Uh, and he did say to me before we left, you know, bring your passport. There could be some checkpoints. Now, of course, Syria is still um, at uh, civil war. And it's, it, it just gets a little bit quieter at times, certainly um, since Daesh has been removed from that whole situation, but it is still at civil war. So once we got into the Bekar Valley, there was certainly a lot of um, military up there. I look at these young guys in the back of these vans or mm. standing at the checkpoints, and all I know is they just want to go home and have dinner with their fa- family and mm-hmm. their friends and all that sort of stuff. But uh, we went through quite a number of checkpoints, not enough to actually even stop, just driving through Mm -hmm. checkpoints. uh, They will look at you and go, tourist with driver, straight through. Mm. I didn't have to flash my passport once. Mm. But uh, that was a tip that if you do, um, you know, want to go up to that area, it is fine. You'll get through quite easily and your driver will certainly take care of you. But just make sure you have your passport with you.
0: So if if you look at me, I'm a little bit darker than you. I look at Middle Eastern. Uh, in some ah, places. they're going to say Middle so Eastern French they, guy. They would stop me, and I have been stopped in Tunisia. Yeah a lot yeah um driving on my own with a friend there and that was a few years ago yeah. um and, uh, yes so but it so was it was, yeah. sort
3: of, it was pretty well it, it struck me as everyday life in that particular area and that's why people get tense i suppose living in those sorts of areas it would be awful to have to go mm, through checkpoints mm. every day but uh there's certainly you know there are areas that i wouldn't like to visit mm. in lebanon without being with a local but
1: certainly the becca valley was uh, the it was fine. We did yeah. try to tell people not to put their dumb hats on when they travel on. I yeah. think it, I really do think it's common sense these days. Uh, look i don't think um within reason depending on what country i'm in i mean if, if i'm in the united states or the uk or somewhere like that i'll be happy to go off and do my own thing but if you're in places in the mm-hmm. middle east i think it's always sensible to get a guide and just chuff off go and visit the whole country by all you want to make the most of your trip as well absolutely mm-hmm. Now i used uh, the same company
3: again uh, on another day where i actually went up the coast um in beirut now you know, the distances, once again, you know, the furthest I went from there was um, up to Byblos. Uh, it's only 40 k from the, the centre of uh, Beirut. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was a nice day trip. We actually drove along the coast, which is mm-hmm. just breathtaking again, mm-hmm. and we stopped at Harissa, and there's a chairlift to the top of um, this, this mountain, which would be um, part of the whole Mount Lebanon range, mm-hmm. and we went to the top there to Um, Our Lady of Lebanon statue, which is at the very top. It's a very big Catholic church up there. Mm -hmm. There's an old church as well. Uh, it happened to be a Sunday. It was going off as far as yeah. Christianity yeah. was concerned. But the chairlift itself is a spectacular view of the whole coastline because it is quite steep and it goes up very high. Uh, but that's certainly well worth checking out. Uh, had a little bit of lunch uh, along the way there and then went up to Harissa. Now, Harissa has been continually habitated. Uh, habitated. What's the word i Inhabited. Inhabited. That's the <laughs> one in there um, for 8,000 years. And I checked out the ruins there, which are right on the coast, uh, there are Bronze Age ruins from 8,000 years ago and then there's the period when the Romans first arrived and they built this interesting city which sort of overlays the much of the Bronze Age ruins. And then of course there's a period where the Islamic um, not invasion, but an Islamic settlement of uh, that area was as well. So you're going to see big layers of history just in Byblos. Spectacular to check out as well. And there's some great markets and bazaars and craft areas up there as mm. well. But once again,
2: 40Ks from the city. Yeah, Biblos is interesting, of course, because it was also the name of a famous fashion label of the 1980s and what? 90s. Yes, what? an Italian fashion label called Biblos. No, is that
1: what, what you're, you're wearing, wearing right now? No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> No, you, I think
1: you'd find that in Forever 21, would
2: you? You probably might. Yeah, you yeah. probably might. So, yes, Biblos was the brand. And so I was very curious to know what biblos the mm. actual location, was all about. Something to do with Bible as well, maybe? Mm.
3: You know, the funny thing about Baalbek was they spent 300 years building these three amazing temples. And suddenly you go from 300 BC to zero, maybe 1 AD, and the Romans converted to Christianity. And the temples became yeah. In right. the hexagon, as you go into the mm. the Temple of Jupiter, they actually turned that into a church, a six-sided church right. in the middle there. Uh, but, you know, for all those 300 years and then JC came along and changed it all. So.
2: Well, I mean, certainly there would be, uh, you know, so many uh, religious monuments and, and buildings have been repurposed. Of course. To suit uh, the various um Reflecting at the time.
3: But how many places on this planet can you go and see virtually overlaying 8,000 years of civilization, except for maybe in Georgia? Yes, certainly in Georgia. Because I was listening the other week when you were talking about Georgia.
2: Certainly in Georgia, there mm-hmm. is some incredible Bronze Age um, and Iron Age. Uh, Buildings and uh, some very early uh, monasteries, but that—that's um, that's like uh, middle ages, really. Yeah, yeah. But there is some beautiful, beautiful uh,
1: ruins throughout that part of the world. What were the beaches like, David? You like a swim? You like to put on your um, budgie smokers and get out there?
3: I didn't actually find a budgie smuggling beach. Um, know, but as I was getting up towards Biblos, there certainly um, were a couple of smaller beaches. And I did notice from the chairlift there were some little areas. But I think you might actually have to go a little bit further up coast in order to find that hotel swimming pools are sensational. In was the it climate. hot? Yeah, it was beautiful. I was there in September and I think the range of temperatures was about 27 to about 32. Nice. So, 27 mm. at night, 32 mm. during the day. Mm. Quite spectacular. But once again, you can do your research and see which month you'd choose to go because some people like it a bit warmer, some people like it a little bit cooler.
2: And what about uh, getting around and talking to people? Did Was what sort of the level of English that's spoken? Um, did you feel... I mean, like in most places, it's always part of the fun is being, is getting understood and understanding other people.
3: Not a big problem at all. Yeah. But once again, you know, I was saying in, staying in two inner city areas, mm. so they were used to tourists mm. in those areas and certainly even up at uh, Biblos and Harissa, you know, there are spots that people would go to as well. Mm. Oh, I forgot to mention there's Jetta Grotto as well, which um, is uh, on oh. the way to Harissa. Jetta Grotto is, you know, have you ever been to the Jenolan Caves or is the Bucken like, Caves yeah. or mm-hmm. one of those other, the Mole mm-hmm. Creek Caves mm-hmm. down in Tasmania? Quite spectacular with the stalactites and mm. stalagmites. Uh, They have nothing on the Jetta Grotto, which is on an astounding scale of these beautiful, beautiful underground caves with water running through as well. And you can go and tour those. It's not very expensive.
1: Spectacular. Oh, I'm so glad you didn't forget those. I nearly forgot
3: about them, but I I just,
1: yeah, just thought those. Many months ago, we had a uh, chef from beirut on the escape hour and he came in and discussed um food and everything and he just would not stop talking about how fabulous and how cosmopolitan beirut was and he just wished more more australians would go there you, you've just made it sound fantastic well we can go there um there
3: are political problems in uh lebanon uh it was a couple of weeks after i was there there was certainly uprising because you know they weren't that happy with the government uh, it looked from here as if everything was closing down i talked to people that i know that are from lebanon that have family over there and they said no things weren't closing down and too often you know portrayal in news is not exactly what the situation is but you can always check out uh what it's like the the political situation just by doing some uh searches on the web uh but you know it's it's a country where most people that do have money have derived that from outside their country um But once again, we're tourists and we're there to see things. In a way, you're sort of supporting a country that is um, possibly not doing that well. They're not um, bankrupt, but they do struggle to provide uh, all the services for their people. But that's their political situation. We're tourists and we're Mm -hmm. guests in their country Mm -hmm. and we can enjoy
1: uh, what they have to offer.
0: You're listening to a Joycast from GLB community radio station Joy 94.9
1: This is the Escape Hour on Joy 94.9 You're here with Russ Masterton, Fiona Brooke, Stefan, and he is a lovely man. He's driving us today on the Escape Hour and we have David Gale with us who's been to Lebanon. Goodness gracious me, you get around don't you?
3: Oh look, I certainly get around here at Joy, you know, with uh, so many things happening. You might recall my Voice from 12 to 4 on Wednesdays, bringing you the most, most uplifting music mix. And, of course, our new season of Hooked is about to start as oh, well. Oh, what
1: a great show Hooked is. Oh, <laughs> starting Next on week. Tuesday. Yeah, on yes. Tuesday. If you this Tuesday. This 8 PM, Tuesday, 8pm. Information about any type of addiction. That's Maybe right. Eating, in the LGBTI community. community. Do you Anna, do shopping either? addiction? We have, Fiona, and we will be doing it again. Do you have a shopping addiction that you might like to own up No, to? No? No?
2: no. My partner has an internet shopping addiction. No, I've really? Had, really? You know, you need to have a breathalyser on the phone. Ah. <laughs> that late a night lock. internet shopping. I hope he's shopping for you. No. No.
0: Either. I... No, generally not. Oh, that's, that's disappointing to me. But uh, I would like to know, David. Did you use any uh, LGBT app or any um, you know, meet-up apps in Lebanon? I was wondering if you were going to ask me if it was if I was
3: gay in Lebanon. Well, I'm gay uh, were all you around in the world. <laughs> were
0: you gay in Lebanon? Look,
3: you know, I have got a partner, so I certainly wasn't searching. But as I mentioned, when you had me as a guest in Iran. Uh, talking about Iran, I certainly look at apps because sometimes you do find people that you may want to well, actually find... Have a coffee with. ..to talk to and, and learn a little bit more about that. I wasn't particularly looking for gay nightclubs. Uh, mm-hmm. I certainly did use apps while I was there and had some conversations with a couple of people, nobody that I... Uh, I certainly wasn't looking for sex, so that wasn't mm-hmm. the case. But the apps do work there, whereas uh, I think only one worked in Iran, which was scruff. But yeah. uh, other ones do work in Lebanon.
0: What's the history there? Well, Mr. in terms uh, legally, um, uh, same-sex sexual acts are against uh, contradict the laws of nature and are illegal. All oh, right. Mm-hmm. So okay. although uh, the the law isn't enforced. Mm. Uh, very often but it can happen but Um, it means
3: that when you do see somebody on an app uh, they may not necessarily have a photo of themselves and they'll want to talk to you beforehand in Iran however you might be actually talking to somebody who might be entrapping uh, you know there might be some entrapment Mm. or there might be some extortion or something like that but but it's good also to turn off your location uh, on those apps as well if you want to protect yourself Mm. um, because you know it's it's I did get the.
2: I did get the impression that Beirut was quite a uh, permissive and liberal international city. Mm. That you know, there's, uh, you know, I did hear that there were gay bars and things like that in that place. Now, I don't know the accuracy of that, but certainly I did um, get the impression that Lebanon was a very permissive environment.
0: I know there was a gay pride in Le- in Beirut in 2017 oh, but then right. it was banned in 2018 it oh. hasn't happened oh, good. since so yeah. maybe, I mean it, it might evolve but at the moment in terms of legal uh, position it's mm. not mm. Uh, Well they're
1: obviously turning a blind eye to grinder and scruff there, and things there like that. But there the could button. also be quite
3: a bit of political change because you'll notice Absolutely. that those riots um, in the streets because it was about the cost of living and everything else and unemployment or whatever uh, it was initiated by young people and they overthrew the leader of their political system at the time and said, no, he's got to step down. And he actually stood down. um...
1: Thanks for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9.
3: Thanks for listening to another Joy
1: podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.